I've decided in 2024, we're just not going to play around, you know? We're just going to believe God for things that feel a little bit beyond God's power and scope, um, beyond our prayers and our hopes and our dreams. Why not let this be the year that we believe that everything will work out? At least on December 31st, 2024, when you're looking at my face saying, well, this didn't work out, I can say we started, though, the year believing that everything could work out. Friends, I'm so grateful for your presence among us um, this morning. For those of you who might be new to the Southeast Raleigh table, my name is Reverend Lisa Yaboa, and I serve as the lead pastor alongside my dear colleague, Kiana um, Hertog, who welcomed you this morning. And so whether you're with us in person or um, online, we are just grateful for your presence um, this day, especially in a very different configuration. This isn't normally how we set up, um, but I want you to know that it's not by, like, default that we decided on this schema, like we just needed a little razzle-dazzle for the season. I'll share with you why. So, you know, for instance, you might be wondering about the decor that, as we used to say in the black church, is yet holding on. <laughs> um, there's a reason why the decor is still here, because just yesterday was what we call the Feast of the Epiphany or the Day of Epiphany, which happens to be the 12th day within the Christmas season and marks the end of Christmas time. We need to know when we look at this that um, we are in a particular season that marks our lives. Today, you see these baptismal bowls, um, not because of razzle-dazzle, but because we will have two children who are baptized in this place, but we are also going to remember our baptism. Why? Because this Sunday is known as the baptism of our Lord, which marks the beginning of the season of Epiphany after the season of Christmas time. We are gathered in a round, and we've been gathered in a round since our Christmas Eve Vesper service, because this is an incarnational configuration. Remember in John's gospel where it says this about Jesus, that the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us, and that we have seen the glory of, um, of the creator. You have to look at each other's faces in the round. You know, someone gives you that look. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to, um, we're incarnate, we can't hide from each other. It doesn't mean that we have to feel like we're being viewed or watched, but instead, every single time you catch someone's gaze, you're looking in the face of God. Ah, we say that God loved us in such a way that God would show up in all the swag, touch God through Christ Jesus. Oh, you get to see all the swaggy ways that God is reflected in creation. We mark time differently, and time marks us differently. And this morning, as we talk about Christmas tide and the incarnation of Jesus, Epiphany, the manifestation where we recognize that Christ is our King, and that means something for us. The baptism of our Lord, that Christ is also baptized. Not only does time mark us differently, but we realize that the life of Jesus marks us differently. I want to just remind us that on January 6, 2021, which was the day of Epiphany, it was also the day of the insurrection at the Capitol. It was a reminder to me, though, I am marked by time differently. Today is my Epiphany, the Epiphany of our Lord. I know who sits on thrones. I'm just saying. We mark time differently. We mark time differently. 
Fine. So here now, um, these words from Mark chapter 1, beginning with um, the fourth verse, you can find the passage of scripture in your worship bulletin. It might be a familiar passage to many of us. It might be an unfamiliar passage to some of us. But here now, these words. It says that John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. John proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Who are the people in your life who are trustworthy to talk about you? Who are the people in your life that you know that they can offer up an accurate account of who you are? I'm not talking about the people who call you in and they tell you about yourself. I'm talking about the people who can see the things that sometimes other people cannot see. The folks that you know will not be reckless um, about who you are and your existence and your days. I'm telling you, friends, I know the people in my life who know how to talk right about me. Put some respect on my name. Put some respect on my life, you know? We oftentimes don't think about who are the folks who are trustworthy with words about us until there's a misunderstanding. Until someone says something about you that's sideways. Until someone says something about you that might be the sum of what might be considered your worst parts, but they have kind of overlooked your brilliant parts. We don't think about who's trustworthy to say something about us until someone who is untrustworthy starts to say some things about us. It's why at funerals you just don't have everybody talking about your loved one. People are very particular about who gets to um, offer a witness to a life well lived. It's why at your wedding, it's why at your wedding, sometimes we get a little bit nervous when certain people want to make a toast. And there are other folks that you are locked in as they begin to speak about the love that will be made manifest in that partnership's lives. We are not even loose about who offers up words over children and individuals who come to this baptismal font to be baptized. There was um, a, a, a moment for two of our confirmands, Josh and Jaden, where they were baptized and also confirmed. And we had a video of Becky Blanco offering up a blessing over them. Why? Because we knew that even though Becky wasn't going to be physically present, her words would be trustworthy about Josh and Jaden. Beam her in. Yes, we will. <laughs> we are not loose about who says words over us. There are certain people who are so trustworthy about what they say. And this is what I want you to know about John the Baptist. If there was ever a character in Scripture that we should trust if we should trust witness about Jesus, it's John. John is, in my mind, the biblical creator of the shout out. Yeah. 
You know, if John had had Z93, which was the radio station in Somerville, South Carolina, I know John would have been like, I want to give a shout out to my cousin, Makuzo, <laughs> Jesus, be doing some things. Had that party lit last night, you know. The Merlot was low, low, and Jesus took it up. I mean, um, no. He really, he's, he, is, he is the authority for speaking about Jesus. Even in the, pro, in the prophetic words of Isaiah, which are mentioned here, it says that there will be a voice crying out in the wilderness. Even the prophets speak about the herald who's going to talk about the great herald. It's like saying you need to know that what's going to come out of John's lips actually matters. And here's the other thing about why we might trust what John says about Jesus. Even in utero, John bore witness to the greatness and the majesty of Jesus. It says that when Jesus' mother Mary comes to be with her cousin Elizabeth, that Elizabeth felt leaping in her womb the child John. Basically, John was giving Jesus the head nod in utero. Like, oh, okay. Mark my words is what John is saying. This one who comes after me is greater than me. Mark my words. I am not worthy even to untie the thong of his sandals, and yet this is going to be the one who's going to proclaim the kind of gospel that I know that I can have life and life more abundantly. Mark my words. I can baptize you with a little bit of water now. But this one will be able to baptize you with power and wholeness and grace and mercy, the kind of baptism that will change you from the inside out. You will not only be dunked in waters, but you will be dunked in grace. Mark my words. And John was not wrong. You know when people say, mark my words, what they mean is like, oh, it's going to happen. But oftentimes the connotation is like, mark my words, they're about to like tear everything up. No, mark my words are more like, you need to know the glory and the splendor that's going to come forth from Jesus' life. And John was not wrong. If you were to read through the fullness of the gospel stories, all that John has said about his cousin in a wilderness moment will come to pass. This one will baptize you with power will say to you that, you know, there are going to be some systems that are going to come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I'm the one who's going to come that you might have life. And guess what? I don't even just give you good things. I give you great things. Life more abundantly. Mark my words. Everything that John says about his cousin is true. The beautiful thing is that John is declaring these powerful things about Jesus' ministry before Jesus has even stepped into his ministry. Not, not even the first day on the job. And, and John is like, I need you to know what's about to happen. <clears throat> Hasn't multiplied fish and bread. Has not had anyone touch the hem of his garment yet. Has not preached throughout the Judean countryside. Has not um, said to leave the coom and invited a, a little child to get up. Has not uh, even brought together the disciples around the table to tell them that I am the bread of life. I am like this well that will never run dry. Jesus has done no thing. And yet John is able to say, let me tell you what I know on John, what my cousin's going to do. John is the authority. But John's voice isn't the only voice in this passage. Oh, y'all. This is what we call the helicopter moment for, for preachers. 
We about to go up? John's voice is not the only voice in this passage. While John might be the authority, this uh, creative power voice from God, the creator, is the authority. You know how y'all like to add a couple of E's? The authority on who Jesus is flows from the creator, the son, flowing from that, the spirit. And from the heavens, there is this other voice speaking about who not just what Jesus is going to do, but listen, friends, who Jesus is. John tells us something beautiful about what Jesus is going to do. The authority tells us who Jesus is. This voice that bellows from the heavens after Jesus is being baptized which would have been kind of understandable. It was like a cleansing ritual, something that would not have been outside of the ordinary for those who were within a faith tradition. In fact, if you have ever read um, in John's gospel when Jesus turns water into wine and it talks about the, the jars of purification, those waters that were in that, um, those jars would have been um, used probably for cleansing rituals, which is why actually when Jesus turns water into wine, it's a messianic sign that these cleansing waters also get turned into something else, but that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. I will hold off. But it would not have been unusual for Jesus to have been baptized by his cousin John, though we know that Jesus was fully human and fully divine and also perfect. And when Jesus is coming out of the waters, this voice, this creative voice from, from God says, you are my son. Who are you? You are in relationship with me. You're not just some ordinary prophet. You're not just a businessman preacher. There is something about who you are because you're in relationship with the one who creates the heavens and the earth, actually flows from the one who creates the heavens and the earth. Or John's gospel say that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, that God, Christ, spirit from the very beginning together. Something about the relationship. Then I love this part. You are my son, comma, the beloved. Articles matter. Not a beloved. Who? The beloved. Notice, even though in um, Koine Greek, you might not necessarily uh, capitalize Things. But in the scripture, as it is translated, it's capital. It is to say something about this is who you are that you cannot like brush off. It is who you are. You are the beloved. Meaning, uh, love, you are love and you are loved. Hard stop, can't do anything about it. Like it is actually your very essence. Is this is your name, the beloved. I'm gonna start calling y'all some of that. The beloved, how are you? The beloved. You cannot somehow work your way out of that moniker. And then this voice says, with you, I am well pleased. Not with your ministry, I am well pleased. Not with your preaching, I am well pleased. Not with what you're going to do in the Judean countryside, I am well pleased. Not with your healing powers or prowess that I'm with you. With you, I am well pleased. 
I one time had someone ask me this question, do you believe that God loves you? And I was like, of course God loves me. And then the person said, you know, though a, a more difficult question to sometimes ask yourself is, do you think God likes you? With you, I like. With you, I love. With you, I delight. There's a beauty. You remember last Sunday, we read from Isaiah chapter 62. Do you know that there's a part of that passage that says, you will no longer be termed forsaken. Your name will no longer be called forsaken. Your name will be my delight. My delight is in her. God delights, pleased with you. It doesn't start first with what Jesus does. Though John gives Jesus a beautiful shout out. It's who Jesus is. Now, I could also preach a whole other sermon about what does it look like when we start from our belovedness? That if we understood that if Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, was not first commended for what he was going to do, but just like reminded that he was loved. It might change how some of us also relate to our work and how we show up in the world, that we start first from knowing our belovedness. You don't have to hustle. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to do all kinds of things and have accolades behind your name in order for God to see you. When God creates all things, it says in Scripture, it is declared very good. What, you what, what have you done? Huh? Some of us are sitting here thinking, what did, I, what did I do over 2023? What am I going to do? You are God's child, the beloved. And God is pleased with you. Maybe not with everything we do, but you. Here's a theological question that often comes up in moments like this. Did Jesus need to be baptized? Well, let me tell you something right now, friends. This is the beauty of going to seminary. Someone has written probably a very long book that you would not take to the beach to read <laughs> about these moments when Jesus, you know, leans into, you know, being baptized or have, you know, going to the temple. I mean, <laughs> Jesus is Jesus. Does Jesus really need to go to the temple? Um, and oftentimes, you know where scholars land? And whether I agree with this or not, I think it's something to be said. All that is said about Jesus in this particular passage, I don't, I've never heard a lot of people say, I just don't believe it. I, I do not believe that all of this screaming and carrying on was going on from the heavens about how like, beloved Jesus is. I just have not heard people say that. Now, you might be feeling that, let's talk after worship service. You'll be the first. Theologians oftentimes wonder, do we need to see it? Meaning we needed to see the savior of the world. The one who can do all things. The one with whom nothing is impossible. That we need to sometimes see Jesus sleep on a boat. That we need to see Jesus have words conferred over him. That we also need to know that before Jesus does any work, Jesus was loved. Because if we can see that for Jesus, we might believe that for ourselves. If this is how 
it starts for Jesus. Why then? This one who we say we are covered in the dust of our rabbi, meaning we walk so closely behind Jesus and what Jesus is doing, will we not also believe that the things that Jesus receives as gifts might not also be gifts for us as well? You know, during the uh, beginning of a year, I always say the great miracle of this, of this moment chronologically is that many of you are going to write down words on pieces of paper and in planners, and you're going to believe they're going to actually come true. I love that. Why? At the Southeast Raleigh table, what do we say? Our language is blessings. Why? Because words create worlds. The worst thing that could ever threaten our lives is for us to have a thwarted imagination about our lives. But I love it. At the beginning of the year, you all are making plans for sometimes every aspect of your life. You're writing down words and you're actually believing them. Mark my words. I'm going to be more whole next year than I was last year. Mark my words. I'm going to invest in my relationships differently this year than I did. Mark my words. I'm going to rest more this year. Mark my words. You, you are actually believing. So what a great gift that as we gather here this morning, the baptism of our Lord with a Christmas tree that's hoping for the very best, but that reminds us of the incarnate God, <laughs> of you getting a glimpse of the people around you who look like God, that we start our year getting to see Jesus have the words conferred over him, you are my child, the beloved with whom I am well pleased, maybe we need to hear those words. This morning, we are going to have the wonderful um, opportunity to baptize two young children and then for all of us to remember our baptism. And the reason why is because you're offered up words. Typically, if we know your name, we'll say your name and we'll offer the words Remember your th baptism and be thankful, or anticipate your baptism and be thankful, or just know that there's power in this water. But the thing about baptism is that it always starts with the belovedness of who you are. You know, in our church tradition, we believe that children can be baptized. Why? Because we believe that God pursues Samuel. Samuel doesn't have to run after God. That when Samuel's being nurtured in the water of a womb, God was already pursuing. Samuel will know a God who's like the hound of heaven, always on his neck, not to subdue him, but to remind him, the beloved, the beloved, Samuel, the beloved, the beloved, you're my, oh yes, Samuel, the beloved. <laughs> That's how we start, in a little bit, I promise. That's how we start. I wanna make promises to the children. That's how we start, we start with words. We start with words about your belovedness. It might seem like such a small thing to place your hand in a bowl. Mark my words, God is saying. You are my child. You are the beloved. God delights in you. Mark God's words. In the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sustains,